Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Interactions, a podcast about law and religion and how they interact in the world around us. Today, we're going to be discussing the issue of religious exemptions from legal mandates. What happens when the legal rights of one group clashes with the religious freedom of another? LGBTQ rights, for example, or the rights of women? These are complex questions in the area of law and religion, and when these conflicts arise, the dialogue gets heated. In today's episode, Raphael Friedman suggests that certain phrases lodged against the religious conservatives responsible for claiming these exemptions only harm the debate. Words like bigot, as well as the accusation that conservatives are only using their religion in order to spread hatred. These terms are not only usually inaccurate, Friedman claims, and they aren't even just hurtful or polarizing. Instead, these terms carry the danger of distracting from the real legal issues. If we are to have the chance of a productive debate, we can't accuse religious conservatives of using religion. I'm Janet Metzger, and this is Stop Accusing Religious Conservatives of Using Religion by Raphael Friedman. Figuring out the proper boundaries for religious liberty continues to be a hot-button issue in America. Friction between religious groups and other members of society has pervaded the headlines, and these conflicts aren't going away anytime soon. Over the last few years, the Supreme Court has ruled on a number of cases where religious liberty claims have clashed with the rights of other citizens. The laws that have been challenged include those involving public health during the pandemic, several anti-discrimination laws protecting LGBTQ rights, and laws designed to ensure access to contraceptive care. This list is likely only to grow. These conflicts are deeply personal and arouse fiery passion on all sides, and, as with all emotionally charged debate, the rhetoric we use matters a lot. A number of phrases commonly used to characterize certain religious liberty claims only harm the debate. Here, I'm not going to try to judge the merits of any legal argument. Instead, I want to identify some terminology frequently aimed at religious conservatives, which I believe should be retired. These terms are usually inaccurate. They are also hurtful and unnecessarily polarizing. And they often obfuscate what's actually the core of the legal issue. Here are some obvious examples, like the label of bigot sometimes being branded on religious conservatives who embrace particular viewpoints. And then there are the more subtle examples— a common one is the phrase, using religion to do something. For example, the website of the ACLU has a page entitled, End the Use of Religion to Discriminate, followed by a list of legal issues where religious freedom claims arise.
This phrase is loaded. If someone says they feel used, they are suggesting that someone feigned alliance to them for their own selfish benefit. This is not usually the case when it comes to religious observance. It's one thing to call the dictates of a religion immoral, or to suggest that someone is misunderstanding the teachings of their religion. But to accuse someone of merely using their religion is quite another. In 2017, a majority of the Supreme Court highlighted this point when they condemned statements made by a member of the Colorado Civil Rights Commission during a hearing involving complaints leveled against a devout Christian baker. This case, Masterpiece Cake Shop v. Colorado Civil Rights Commission, is probably familiar to you. Jack Phillips, a bake shop owner, refused to bake a wedding cake for a same-sex couple because he said it would be a personal endorsement and participation in the ceremony, which he opposed on religious grounds. One commissioner told Mr. Phillips that it is one of the most despicable pieces of rhetoric when people use their religion to hurt others. In response, the court said that the commissioner's statements in suggesting that Mr. Phillips was insincere displayed clear and impermissible hostility toward the sincere religious beliefs that motivated his objection. It is beyond a doubt that Mr. Phillips's beliefs are deeply insulting to the LGBTQ community and that his refusal to serve the couple was hurtful. But Mr. Phillips was not using his religion. As the court noted, rather than looking for an excuse to hurt people, he was doing his best to adhere to his sincere religious beliefs. In addition to adding polarizing fuel to an already raging fire, the commissioner's statements distracted from the resolution of a pressing legal dispute. The legal question that should have been the sole focus of the commission's hearing was whether Mr. Phillips was allowed to flout a Colorado law which prohibits discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. The Constitution forbids the government from enacting laws which prohibit the free exercise of religion. On the other hand, anti-discrimination laws may not be able to achieve their purpose if religious store owners are exempted. Plus, the scope of protection afforded to religious practice by the Free Exercise Clause has long been debated at the court. Instead of tackling the legal questions that were at the heart of the case, the commissioner personally attacked Mr. Phillips and, in doing so, distracted from the meaningful consideration of the litigants' claims. And, as a result, we were left with a Supreme Court decision that largely avoided the pressing question of whether anti-discrimination laws must accommodate religious opposition to same-sex marriage. We'll be right back after the break.
Hi, Interactions listeners. This is Justin Latteroff from the Center for the Study of Law and Religion at Emory University. If you like this episode, you might be interested in John Witte's new book, The Blessings of Liberty, Human Rights and Religious Freedom in the Western Legal Tradition. This book explores the role that religion has played in the formation of rights in the Western legal tradition. Today, some religious critics of human rights see human rights as a betrayal of Christianity, while other critics see religious freedom as a threat to human rights. John Witte responds to both of these challenges and insists that protecting religious freedom is actually the best way to protect many other fundamental rights despite the fact that religious freedom and other fundamental rights can sometimes clash. Are human rights a modern invention, and is religious freedom a mere obstacle to human rights today? Explore these questions and more with John Witte in The Blessings of Liberty, new from Cambridge University Press. Find out more by clicking the link in the episode description. Thank you for listening to Interactions. Phrases like using religion are problematic because they presuppose that the religious belief in question is merely a disingenuous guise for insidious hate, when usually this is inaccurate. The more these phrases are used, the harder it will be for resolutions to be reached. Certainly, some religious justifications for activities which harm others are pretextual, stemming from biases held before or outside of any conversion to a faith practice. However, it's very difficult, if not completely impossible, to determine the authenticity of another person's belief. As a result, judges and litigants on the other side should, at the very least, be open to the possibility that a religious party is acting in good faith. In Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado, the commissioner in his response to Mr. Phillips also referenced religious justifications which were used to promote slavery and the Holocaust. Disturbingly, two dissenting justices on the Supreme Court refused to join their colleagues in condemning the comparison. Many legal scholars jumped to defend the commissioner and argued that her historical observations were undeniably true. However, the accuracy of the commissioner's statements was never the question. Her statements evidence hostility toward religion because they suggest that Mr. Phillips's beliefs share the insincerity and reprehensibility of the beliefs of slave owners and Nazis. Her statements were not said in the abstract. Instead, they were directed at Mr. Phillips. Context matters, especially when words like slavery and the Holocaust are being used. The intuition to treat some religious liberty claims with disdain is more likely than not motivated by a virtuous empathy we feel for those who are hurt by these claims. While the urge to demonize religious adherence is understandable, it should be resisted. Name-calling and labeling never resolve conflict. And I would even argue that the damning of religious conservatives is usually wrong. Here's why. Nuns who oppose contraception or abortion do not hate women. 
church or synagogue goers who oppose harsh COVID-19 restrictions on their houses of worship are not apathetic toward public health. Jack Phillips did not hate the couple who requested the cake. There is a fundamental, though subtle, difference between the motivation for a behavior and its effect. Opposition to abortion, contraception, or same-sex marriage is not necessarily rooted in prejudice against women or gay people, even though they are undoubtedly the ones most harmed by it. I appreciate that the inextricable link between gender and reproductive decisions, as well as the obvious link between homosexuality and same-sex marriage, makes parsing discriminatory intent from discriminatory effect difficult. Still, if parties on the opposite side of conservative religious beliefs acknowledge that distinction, religious parties will be better understood. This will improve rhetoric and allow the legal questions these cases present to take the stage without distraction. Of course, none of this means that society must embrace any of these religious beliefs. And none of this means that the law should necessarily grant religious exemptions that interfere with other people's rights. But the debate has to be reframed so that it is less demeaning and more tolerant of deeply held religious beliefs, even when they collide with other rights. Similarly troubling rhetoric also appears in the political arena. In an undeniably poignant and stirring plea on the House floor in February of 2020, New York Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez denounced religious exemptions to laws which promote access to health care. Amidst the eloquence and depth of conviction that permeated her address, however, was language that echoed the sentiment of the Colorado commissioner. Consider her claim that the only time religious freedom is invoked is in the name of bigotry. A quick Google search belies that assertion. The history of religious liberty jurisprudence is full of cases in which the religious parties were the ones who were victims of bigotry. But even if we extend Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez the benefit of poetic license, her underlying point is misguided for all the reasons stated above. Issues surrounding conservative religious beliefs will continue to sit front and center in courts of law and in the court of public opinion. We will do better if certain tropes are dropped from the conversation. That was Stop Accusing Religious Conservatives of Using Religion by Raphael Friedman. You can find the full article on Canopy Forum by following the link in the episode description. Canopy Forum and the Interactions podcast are distributed by the Center for the Study of Law and Religion at Emory University and produced by Anna Knudsen. I am your narrator, Janet Metzger. You can follow Canopy Forum on Twitter or Facebook and subscribe to Interactions on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for listening.